once again to the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. Technically, this is episode 132, but we're going to stop the countdown. The reality is it's 2023, so Happy New Year to everyone. The World Cup is behind us. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. The numbers were incredible, both on this audio podcast as well as the video simulcast on YouTube. That will continue, so check us over there on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos, and check us out here on your morning drive, on your evening drive, at the gymnasium room, as uh, Inspector Clouseau used to say. If you haven't seen those Peter Seller Inspector Clouseau movies, I highly recommend. So uh, we are back here, and uh, we are not going anywhere, so we're very excited. We have a big year ahead of us. We're going to have some great guests. We're going to take it up another level with all the momentum from the World Cup. We got big plans for the show and all of you out there that have been here. And by the way, uh, I have been told by my manager, Leland, we are in 98 countries. And that really upsets me to be so close to 100 and not quite get there. I'm kidding. That's amazing. It's amazing. But let's get to 100. So tell your friends in Greenland or San Marino. I don't think we're in San Marino or Suriname or Equatorial Guinea to tune into the Soccer OG. Because yes, we're an American podcast, but we are for the world. As always, check us out on our social media handles under my name, uh, Max Bretto Sports on Twitter as well. We have a great show. We always have a great show. Joining me, Pablo Maurer of The Athletic. Initially, I was going to bring him on, and we are going to talk about it because I was on vacation in beautiful Yucatan, Mexico. Get out there if you have a chance. Don't just go to Cancun or Tulum. You can go to Holbox. You can go to Valladolid. You can go to Merida. You can go to Progreso. Endless stuff to do. We Pablo had an incredible article about Pelé, and I want to talk about him and his influence here in the United States. So we will talk about that. But, of course, we're also going to talk about what happened, the uh, the bombshell here in American soccer with uh, the Reinas and the Burhalters, the Montagues and the Capulets, the Hatfields and the McCoys. It's not that bad, but it's pretty embarrassing. We'll talk about all of that. And in the stoppage time, what I'm looking forward to the most in 2023, the Soccer OG. We're back, baby, and we're back with the vengeance. Before we get started, I just want to emphasize how exciting it is to be back in this form. I love it. I, I, I kick myself that I didn't do this sooner. And the best part is more and more people are beginning to enjoy it. And what that does for me, in addition to bringing more joy and sharing this form, is improving my efforts to try and do a better job to give you something to tune in for and not just me jibber-jabbering here. So uh, just want to let that be known perfectly clear. Great to be back with you guys. So, uh, if I see one more person use the joke, did I miss something today on Twitter? I'm going to scream. Because obviously, if you didn't see the Greg Berhalter news, um, and a lot of people are in vacation mode. A lot of people put the World Cup aside, and obviously there's a lot going on. It's been great. I thought I would be, uh, it would be overkill for football. It has not been. I've watched a lot. The Premier League, the holiday season Premier League is always so good. And I want to say this real quickly about the Premier League. Uh, first of all, the the clubs, uh, there's so much compelling 
I mean, there was Arsenal-Newcastle, which is a game you wouldn't have cared about last year or the year before, and now it's like the best game of the round. Brentford's a must-see. Leeds, for American purposes, are a must-see. But Leeds-West Ham, I mean, West Ham is a dull team to watch, but that became a riveting game. Fulham is a must-see for American fans and everyone. They're in the top five. Obviously, Newcastle. There's 13 or 14 teams that you care about in the Premier League now that you could tune in and say, oh, this is not a throwaway. Before too long, it's going to be all 20. I give to you the Super League. It's in England. That's it. I watched the Serie A, and uh, I liked some of the games. Napoli, Inter was, you know, was intriguing. But, you know, I start yawning. It just doesn't look. It doesn't pop off the screen. And I've never said this. I always fought for the Spanish League and the Italian League because I covered those games. Those are the first leagues I covered and broadcast, the German League. It's the first European League I broadcast at Fox. So it's just, it's just unbelievable. The, young, the smaller clubs are spending money. Nottingham Forest, what did they do? Signed 25 players. I don't know why I'm screaming. They signed 25 players. And now they're going to have to sign some more to see if they can stay up. It's so compelling. And the first game I watched, NBC's production team was there on the field getting interviews. You know, after, Fox has to watch, man. Fox has to look at what NBC is doing because they uh, they ate their lunch in one day after we saw the World Cup. I thought M there was some good stuff about the Fox broadcast, but they still have to be more. They have to move. They have to try different things and have some smarter conversations like they do on NBC. It's unbelievable. Great questions. Great back and forth. Great access. So anyhow, I'm not here to go on about it. That too much, and we'll talk more about the Premier League. They have one more game here. Uh, Chelsea is playing, and uh, Christian Pulisic. Uh, I don't know about the lineup yet as I'm recording this, but Christian Pulisic certainly should be in the starting lineup. He's been their best player, and he's had that momentum coming on. They're playing Man City, so I can't talk about that. We'll talk about it, and then they'll have some FA Cup action. We'll get back to the Premier League. Give those guys a break. Give them a little break. Obviously, I want to talk about the Greg Berhalter situation. We'll talk a little bit with it about Pablo Maurer. And, and I, I got to tell you this about Pablo. He is on a road trip. So I, I know he he's not going to ignore this story. He's going to talk about it. But he's on a road trip. So the audio may be, it's going to be Jack Kerouacki. You know, he's out there on the road uh, across North America. I think he's in a national park. So we'll see how it goes. But I want to give you a few thoughts. Now, go to I, I do encourage you to go to my YouTube page, Max Bretos. I, I posted a video about this situation with the Reina family and Greg Berhalter. The Reinas and the Berhalters, really, because it doesn't include his wife. You know, Greg Berhalter addressed today. He said it's her story to tell. I wish she got to say it. Um, that said, Greg Berhalter was the one who said this. I mean, he made it public. This didn't really come out anywhere else, but it's just it's a mess. But I encourage you to go over to YouTube. My name, Max Bretos, my latest video. I think I spell it out pretty pretty clearly. Uh, I do want to preface this by saying, firstly, this is a story when it breaks. As a journalist, someone who covers you as soccer, you're like licking your chops. You go, you can't. This is what you, this is what you want. This is the good stuff. Uh, a story you can really dig yourself into with so many moving parts. And uh, yeah, initially you think that. A second thing I think about is the Reynas. I've known Claudio a long time, and this just absolutely gutted me that they are here from their own doing, their own doing. I understand being the parents of kids and certainly a mother of a child and a mother of a child who just lost 
a child, which the Reynas did. Uh, I, I can't put myself in. I don't understand, actually. I, I can't put myself in those shoes. I can't. And I hope I never will. I really do. I hope no one else out there has to. I can't imagine. Uh, that is a layer, and I think that's something you have to you have to incorporate here when discussing this story because emotions are supercharged. You know, those are a kids. You, there's an extra layer of protection. I, I would imagine that you go through when that happens. So uh, I, I want to give uh, Claudio a hug and that family. They're they're just wonderful people. This is just a bad chapter, unfortunately, uh, but th- they will come through. And uh, I w- I just want to give you my end result here because we've talked about it. I, I think you know the particulars if it is in this podcast. If not, they have a really good one on The Athletic. Jeff Carlisle of ESPN also reported very well about what is going on. So um, essentially, this news about, uh, they don't want to use the word blackmail. I, I don't want to use it either. Um, came up where Danielle Reyna came to Ernie Stewart, the technical director of U.S. Soccer, said that um, they were upset that they were dragging Geo back into it based on a, a summit where Greg Berhalter mentioned not specifically about a player that he had to kind of corral back in because he wasn't being part of the team uh, fabric in the World Cup in Qatar. And everyone kind of knew it was Gio Reyna because he we had this report about him um, having a fallout and not practicing hard. And there was a come-to-Jesus moment with the national team where they said, everyone was saying, you got to pick up your efforts. I hope that wasn't too confusing, but I think you guys know mo- most of it. And then this story came out and they're, that they were going to try and ruin Greg Berhalter's career. Uh, it has come out. I, I truly believe that they were offering Greg Berhalter a new deal. And with that in mind, uh, that probably added to the sensitivity because Claudio Reyna's probably thinking, there's no way I'm letting my son under his tutelage for another four years if what happened at the World Cup is on offer. So there is the problem, right? It's the proximity. It's the familiarity of all parties involved. It is a situation that Danielle Reyna knows Ernie Stewart, knows him for years, can pick up her cell phone, hit one button, and have immediate access to the technical director of U.S. soccer. The technical director did tell the story about the conversation. He had to. You've got to have compliance in these big corporations. You can't think about one employee. You've got to think about all your employees. So that cannot be a private conversation. I understand that. As unfortunate as it may seem to some people, but that's the reality of corporate America and U.S. soccer is a corporation and um, has to move forward as so as such. It's that proximity. It, it just so happened that Gio Reyna is an elite player. And, you know, there's play, but everyone inside of U.S. soccer has a connection. Greg Berhalter, the coach, his brother, Jay Berhalter, Greg Berhalter, the coach, played with Claudio Reyna in New Jersey in high school, was coached by Claudio Reyna's kid. They all played together with Ernie Stewart. They, yeah. This inner circle stuff, no. Gotta go away. It's too much. And U.S. soccer has been a mom pa organization, which has got its positives. But uh, if we want to be cosmopolitan, if we want to be worldly, if we want to be successful, you've got to operate in that role. I know international soccer uh, federations uh, always have some baggage. They always do. And weird stuff happens. But this is something I think they can alleviate. And it's up to the sponsors of U.S. soccer and other to put pressure on it. So it doesn't happen because this feels like, it feels very American, firstly, but uh, this is, it may happen again because of all parts that are involved. So, 
you know, I, I, I think of, you know, Greg Berhalter has a son. He's a pretty talented player. He's not a national team player, but and Josh Wolf has some kids. Maybe he is a guy who coaches the national team one time. I'm talking, this is a problem. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, I want to leave plenty of time for Pablo. I'm going to have a quick little uh, stoppage time to discuss about what I'm expecting here in 2023. It's going to be a great year. And we are back on the Soccer OG podcast. I could not be happier. Thanks for joining us. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. back here on the soccer og and we are joined on the road almost like jack kerouac i haven't read that book in a long time i don't know if it applies to you pablo mauer of the athletic always telling great american stories and now you're living one you're doing it traveling around uh you're hitting some canada as well correct or no uh no just sort of just sort of you know flirting with canada getting up into montana and stuff i guess it's <laughs> it's uh it's a quasi on the road experience, but with a lot less drugs. Uh, like no drugs, actually. So, <laughs> I wasn't. I hadn't yeah. read the book in so long. Wait, it's a little different than just traveling around. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. there's a lot more inner inner visions, etc. But I liked I liked the image of you flirting with Canada, kind of touching that that border, yeah. maybe and waving. I, I just I just I pulled over to to do this segment with you, and I'm sitting. I, I spent the previous ten minutes sitting on the side of the road outside. Let's see it. The sign in front of me says Dryden, Texas, so West Texas, um, and I just lost. Uh, I, I sat here and b- tried to bid on an MISL Dallas Sidekicks jersey on eBay and lost out on it. So that's how uh, you know the game never sleeps. I guess you know what I mean. <laughs> right, right on brand too, uh, no yeah, less. Yeah. Uh, and I, and you paint a wonderful picture. I could see West Texas. I could see you on your phone, the Dallas Sidekicks, and obviously it all comes together. And uh, better luck next time. But uh, again, <laughs> this is this uh, to me. This, uh, this makes this uh, conversation a little more exciting, knowing a uh, sense of place and where you are. And uh, we certainly appreciate you getting onto the side of the road to chat with us. Uh, and I, I initially wanted to talk to you because you wrote this incredible article about Pelé, and uh, we'll get into that. But it, it's kind of hard to ignore the this this topic, which again it illuminated me because as we in this in this in the fields that we are in, this is something to talk about it's something to write about it's uh something to to debate about and uh, and here we are but uh it is it is peculiar as all hell uh under these or maybe it isn't pablo are you <laughs> what was your surprise oh, no, make, no, make, make no mistake this is like an all-time u.s soccer scandal you know what yes. I mean? like it's up there with the you know winalda and harks and and the handful of other sort of yeah, uh, things that have actually broken into the public consciousness about U.S. soccer. Um, so no, it seems like a big deal. I mean, yeah, are people blowing it out of proportion? Probably. I mean, it's it's social media. People love doing that. But but this is this is pretty pretty serious stuff, you know. I mean, yeah, and I don't want them to to, to flip over it because look, I, I've known Claudio a long time, and Claudio's been great for me, and I feel terrible he's going through it. But they put themselves in this position. But I hope they're not so flippant to think, oh, it'll it'll wash over. It's not. It, it really shouldn't. I mean, these are serious. This is I a mean, serious I, situation. I, you know, I have an immense amount of respect for Claudio Reyna. Um, I also, though, have found myself thinking in the past, you know, day or two since this broke or since I first heard about it. Um, you know, if you're a player at Austin FC or some other club, yeah. I mean, you. It's a violation of trust, and I I, I think it probably has to affect your perception of that person a little bit 
you know, um, I'm not saying there's no way back for Claudio or others in the situation from this, but, but you know, it'd be like any, anybody who would think that this is not going to have some effect tangibly on, on the Reynas and on Greg Berhalter would, would be extremely naive, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, and I, I would think about Claudio, just think doing this and a probably think it's not going to get out and it, it but they, they they were the stimulus to try and getting it out because U.S. soccer is obviously going to react to it, that he wouldn't think, okay, my job at Austin FC could be in peril. If, if he thought that wasn't, then again, it, there's the naivete that you're talking about. And certainly on the, the Burhalter side, I, I mean, I, we'll see where, it, and it's still too early to talk about it. I get it, but uh, it, it it's hard to imagine things going the same. Certainly uh, from Greg Berhalter, obviously, I, if they come back and say Greg Berhalter is going to be retained for four years, he said today that he was, that I, that wouldn't just be an outrage and the world would kind of chuckle at the circumstances. It happens in other places, but that would be very odd. I, I, I mentioned an earlier segment is, and I don't know how this gets alleviated, and this, because Gio is such a great footballer, that's what complicated it, that there's a connection to Claudio and Ernie and sure. Craig and their wives, that if we could get away from those familiar tones. And I don't know if it goes away because, you know, Greg and Jay, the brother who's also with U.S. soccer, or, uh, Brian McBride, they all kind of know each other. If they have kids that are good enough, no one's as good as, G as Geo. But that is what kind of complicated that, you know, uh, Danielle Reyna could pick up a phone and press a button, have immediate access to Ernie or Brian. Or, and that's, it can't be that way. They got to. Yeah. It, it really, this, this has sort of laid bare what pretty much everybody already knew about U.S. soccer, which is this sort of insular nature of it. I, you know, I got to wonder, what the hell is Gio thinking right now, man? I yeah. mean, like, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to know how he felt about any of this or whether maybe even he was, I don't want to say involved in it, but, you know, had conversations with his parents. But you really get the sense it was more this sort of, like, obnoxious soccer parents thing where you know he's probably rolling his eyes like what what the f are you doing you know what i mean like i have a career here i mean again i think I, this isn't like something that's gonna derail Gio Reyna's career he's a very talented player but but every little piece uh you know affects people's perception of you you know if you become a player that's difficult to deal with or you know has you know parents or an agent that's difficult i mean all this stuff matters, you know? So I just, I genuinely wonder what that guy's thinking right now. Just, I, I'd imagine he has his head in his hands, you know, yeah. but, but it, it's just, it's been crazy, man. I met Gio when he was very, very young. So he wouldn't remember me, but he was, I think he was like 12 or, but uh, I don't know what he's like now, but I, from just what I see, there's like, there's those fragile moments. Obviously he dealt with the injuries and you see him brought to tears and obviously the behavior at the world cup where, you know, kind of started all of this where he was told he wasn't going to play and, no one wants to hear that. But then there's this thing where he throws the bib off because he didn't get into the Wales game, which is part and parcel for players. But as a 20-year-old, you kind of see the kid there. And uh, I wonder if that stunts, yeah, if it stunts the growth a bit. He's such an incredible talent. And like he said, <laughs> if these clubs and that, so they have to deal with the parents as well. They're like, ah, it's just, it's something else. But, yeah, uh, but it's, it's just a lot to go through, too, for anybody his age late teens, early 20s, it's just, I, I mean, I just wonder, again, it's just, all this has to be very, very hard to process in short order, you know, so, look, I'm sure he'll be fine, I'm not worried about anybody in this situation, I also do think it's, you know, you mentioned briefly that, you know, might have been naive for 
for the Reynos to sort of assume that this wouldn't come out. I mean, it's equally naive for Greg Berhalter to, you know, make those comments, uh, however you want to frame them, about Geo at that leadership conference, and then say, well, we thought it was off the record. I mean, literally giving a presentation to a room full of people, you know, and, and you know, the people filling that room adhere to different standards of trust and stuff than journalists do. That was always going to get out, you know? So I don't, you know, look... I don't think there's any point in getting to a, getting into a contest about who looks worse here. I actually think it's pretty much the Reynas. But but on the other hand, uh, like nobody in the situation covered themselves in glory, man. It's, no. it's just it's ugly all around. I, throughout the whole World Cup, and I know Greg Berhalt, you just go on Twitter and it's the the Stan accounts and USMNT <laughs> Twitter, and they are hate them. And I'm like, oh, and I go, okay, it's not that bad. And I watched it, and I looked at the World Cup. I go. I mean, he met expectations, maybe slightly exceeded expectations. I think the the development of the young players uh, is a real positive. They bought into it. I don't think every coach can get a reaction out of young players the way he did and lifted their efforts from when I saw that first World Cup qualifier in El Salvador, where uh, coincidentally, Gio Reyna with the firework freaked out. And you said, oh, my God, these kids aren't ready. Oh, they were ready after that. And they were they they came in and answered the challenge and even falling down to the Dutch didn't quit some teams quit when they fell down a couple goals in that round of 16 i saw it and u.s kept fighting so i I, if before all of this if they extended greg berhalter i would have liked to seen a process to get it i wouldn't have been too bothered but that leadership conference thing is the part that tell me he's got to go that's the part that said i I was like uh, no it's it's the part that told me too that there's there's not been a lot of discussion of this that you know Jesus, man, after he goes through all this stuff the past few days, you think he even wants the job? I mean, I know he says he does, but it's like there's there's part of him that's probably like, look, I could go get a mid-tier job in Europe. I mean, I, you know, if you go on Twitter, I got nothing to do. No, I got nothing but time to thank the past couple of days, obviously, because I'm driving. And I was like, man, Greg Berhalter is like, I understand that, you know, fans in U.S. soccer are always going to have criticisms of whoever the coach is. It happened with Bob. It happened with Jurgen. It happened with whoever. But Berhalter really is like he might as well be Nickelback. Where it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't know. I don't like Nickelback, the band. You know. On the other hand, they seem to evoke this like response from people that you know they're like, this is the worst music on earth. I hate everything about it. And I'm just like, I don't know. How could you feel that strongly about it? But I have the same attitude about Berhalter. It's like. You know, I understand thinking that he might not be the, the guy for the next four years, but, you know, undeniably, um, people have appreciated his work and, and he's done some good things. So the idea that you'd have this insane polarizing argument about a coach who's been, like, by and large, pretty okay, uh, is, but that's just the nature of sports fans, man. It's exhausting. I, if I can mute every Twitter account that started with USMNT, I would do it. I'm sure I can, but, you know, it's like, I'm with it, you, man. Because they're because the thing is, I follow a lot of them, and they're and they're prodigious. I mean, they uh, they pump out these tweets, and you're like, I start up, bang, bang. Okay, I'm up, I'm up. It's so. almost like they don't have a life, Max. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. It is. It's just one of those things where um, I found myself frequently in the past, let's say six months, tweeting about the national team, tweeting about Greg, and then muting uh, the tweet that I just did because I I just <laughs> don't want to. You know, I'm, I'm happy yourself to put my thoughts out there, but I don't <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just don't want to. You know, I don't want to deal with with whatever blowback for whatever stands. Yeah, know, so. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. Um, by the way, the Burhalter Nickelback analogy is 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 perfect. 
It's absolutely like, perfect. I don't know, like by all accounts, they're probably not a horrible band. They sold like no. millions of records. Um, and again, I want to go on the record and say that I, I do hate Nickelback, but you know, uh, don't go into Canada. Out there don't you know? Don't I mean, take that hard right into Canada. You're crossing <laughs> exactly. your, when you're uh, what, what was the word? Kissing or uh, flirting, flirting, flirting with, with Canada? Order, yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. Burhalter would be better in that Canada role. Maybe that we could make that Nickelback analogy complete. Well, here's the you know, I mean, not to uh, prattle on about this. The other thing that cracks me up is people are. There's like an assumption that like, oh, they would offer the job to Jesse Marsh or Jesse. And I'm just like, what makes you think he would want that job? hundred percent. I don't care if he's like, he's, he's living large right now. Seat. Yeah. They're, they're flirting with relegation. He's very clearly on the hot seat, but you know, I don't know. I think you have a, a managerial job in the most desirable league in the world. You're an American. This is, you know, I, I'm not going to say unprecedented, but you know, it's quasi unprecedented to, for him to have lasted as long as he did. Um, you know, I don't think he's going anywhere until they fire him, whether that's this year, next year, the year after, whatever, you know. Yeah, and this is such a huge stretch. This is the big – I tell people this is the biggest stretch for the history of our sport here. Heading into this World Cup uh, in 2026 for the men's game, heading into this World Cup in 2026, which we will be hosting, uh, if they get it right, the sport will change. The sport will change because there will uh, – there will be more interest if, you, if the U.S. made a set, whatever it is, however it looks like, it will change for the better. They fall flat, eh. uh, but it's a big job. I mean, I know all these managers want the big jobs. They want those big challenges. The top managers want to be challenged at the highest level. But uh, it, this is going to be difficult because you need success on the field. You need to make a connection to the American public. You have to make countless amount of appearances because it's in the U.S., so you're going to be a diplomat, uh, ambassador, yada yada yada, beyond belief. I mean, they uh, also they also don't have to qualify, which I think is right. an underrated change in dynamic. Where you know, yeah, so you don't have, less games. You have to kind of yeah, le less games. You don't have the pressure of qualification. You, you can't like put players in the pressure cooker in the way that you normally would. I just think whoever you know, I think it's it's going to be tough. I mean, um, U.S. soccer did well. I don't know, thirty some odd years ago with Boromilovic. <laughs> I. I I'm, I am curious to see who they tap here, you know, and who, and like I said, who wants the job, you know, who wants the job. And uh, I think I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are looking at, it, and this obviously does not help at all. And they look at it and say, oh, I don't want it. I don't want to be that next guy in this mess. I don't want to work for these people because they have no control. It would appear. And, um, but I would imagine some there because of those things, there's that challenge. Some guys would probably be really into it. We'll see. We'll see. I just don't think it should be Burhalter. If it is, it's they're they're bringing a lot to their doorstep, which I don't know if they want. And I don't think Greg Burhalter wants. To your point, yep. which is uh, a, a little pivot here, not a huge one, but I guess to the World Cup. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, you're great on, on on social media. Your your levity and just uh, and your their levity and your your intelligence comes together in great tweets. I just want to tell you that, and uh, I enjoy it very much. But the, I mean, specifically the U.S. Or if you want to talk about maybe the bigger picture about what stood out about this World Cup, obviously we had this incredible final, uh, a real global event with an African team in the semifinals. You know, some people call it the best World Cup. I would kind of get close to saying that it felt yeah. it was good because man, the final really put it over the top for me. For and sure. yeah, the U.S. I was good. I was I was pleased. I was terrified it could go pear shaped, but they did what they were supposed to do and even pushed an England team that looked like one of the best teams in the competition. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had some good performances. Some obviously left a little bit to be desired. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think 
they would get past the Netherlands. They didn't. I thought that that game was a pretty fascinating study. I think um, Berhalter was just outcoached. It was just obvious that that Van Gaal, the Netherlands, were were literally just inviting the U.S. to break them down, knowing that they couldn't. You know, um, I, I would say that you know, as as someone who's observed the U.S. program, I guess the first World Cup I had a keen interest in was '90. But since then, I mean, I'm I'm exhausted by the idea that. Uh, you know, I feel the same way, Max, about uh, Major League Soccer, about how the bar for success for basically any MLS team is to make the playoffs, right? I feel like the bar for success uh, hmm. for U.S. For, for the men in a World Cup is get out of the group, right? And I just, you know, I was really relieved to see, I guess I, I didn't see it, but I, I apparently Berhalter today said that, you know, U.S. Soccer should aim for the semis in 26. I was relieved to see that because it just, <laughs> you know, it's like, the second they advanced, that, sh- that, that should group, be the target for 2026. Anyone says anything less than that is going to get a pushback. I think for, for sure, yeah. But I mean, again, it's historically it's always been get out of the group. So, you know, when when they get eliminated, and I see all these postmortems that are calling this a success, I just I got to roll my eyes a little bit when you see teams like Morocco um, or Japan, you know, other 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 teams with you know far fewer resources, smaller teams that that um, that advance even further. I just it's just it's just sort of tiring. I think it's time for the U.S. to to be a little more ambitious. But yeah, I mean, look, as far as the World Cup goes, uh, great tournament, the whole thing, and we're not, we need to unpack it now because it's been unpacked so much. <laughs> uh, based on you know just you know where it was, how it was awarded, um, and here's something else you're going to talk about. But like you know what happened to Grant? I mean, there yeah. just there are just so many things about that tournament that you know on the field it was so exceptional, but. I, I couldn't like bring myself to divorce everything. And so for me, I think about that World Cup, it's always just going to be kind of like a fever dream or something where it's, it's just, you know, just felt off, you know? Mm, yeah, it's, I came in hot at the beginning of the competition and then I kind of said, just wa- enjoy the games. And I did, yeah, uh, yeah. but there were some reminders, you know, just like, like, you know, what drove me crazy is like that section for the dignitaries, which was always half empty. I'm like, what are you <laughs> yeah, doing? Yeah. Why aren't you watching this game? Whoever's in I, there. I, you know, after Argentina won and they put that, the beach or whatever it's called on Messi, I just, oh, <laughs> just like, yeah. come on, man. It was, not only was it, not only is it like the crowning moment of this man's long and storied career, it's also, I really hate to even care about this, but it's like, it's an Argentina jersey. It's like an iconic. Yes. I mean, it's like, it should be on display in that moment. I mean, it's just like, I, I just put my head in my hands because I was like, you know what? This is perfect. You know, this is like the perfect way for this to end is is the organizers making themselves the story. You yeah. Know? And look, there's no disrespect to those cultures and what that where, but this is, and Messi being so graceful and allowing it, uh, granted, he's, he's embedded with a lot of Middle Eastern. Yeah. Uh, right. I, so I should, I mean, there's the Qatar Airlines and the Saudi Arabia group. So uh, I, I, he he probably has to be very graceful under those circumstances. But you said that Argentina jersey should not be covered. That is the story. Yeah. It's this beautiful shirt that has gone through so much history and uh you shouldn't take that away from that moment but they needed to hang on to it because obviously the host nation didn't do so well i i know i mean the alcohol in the stadium like it came and went and maybe we benefited from less drinking in the stadium but it was like you made a promise to this sponsor and and obviously the the out of touch johnny infantino uh comments at the beginning and he kept popping up and i just was like wanted him to say something that i would agree on or just he's, not- uh, he's he's continued his PR tour by taking a selfie oh. over 
Pele's yeah. open coffin, right? I, I joked with a friend that I'm surprised he didn't bring in Salt Bay to sprinkle Pele's ashes yeah, somewhere. Salt Bay. Oh. <laughs> you know? Salt Bay. It's, the it's the fact that he's allowed on there, and then even if you're allowed on there to the field at the end of a World Cup final, you're told, hey, give the players some space. Yeah. And then he just blew through all the stop signs. And that just infuriated me. I mean, you don't touch the trophy, period. You know, don't touch like, the trophy. There was a point where one of the players' kids wanted to touch it, and he literally moved it away from the kid's hand. I saw it. <laughs> it's like, I want to eat, I want to punch you. Get yeah, out of yeah. get off the field. You you mentioned uh I I always grab a segue if I can. You mentioned Pele, and I've been uh, about his funeral and he was buried this week in Belmiro where at the stadium of Santos and it was you know, obviously a massive event and it is you know Brazil politically is so supercharged right now and it, much like we are in the United States and people on different sides of the aisle and so much it's a massive country and uh, Pele is that Pele is the one guy who can all bring it together and that's uh, if it's for a few hours or a few days that's great and uh, I was glad to see that, uh, obviously, with his connection, Sao Paulo more, you know, the Carioca and Rio and the rest of the country all come together with Pelé. And you wrote an article on The Athletic, uh, Pelé in the United States, story of his influence, kindness and humility from those who knew him. And that was part of it, too, because, you know, selfishly, when one of these great people die, you want to have connections to that yeah. person. And in the United States, we all did because the time he spent here and used so wisely, which your article uh, illustrates and, and reinforces. And that felt good. I mean, even in Mexico, he won that World Cup in 1970. The, our, our neighbors to the South can take uh, a piece of Pelé. Uh, he was this global icon, but we in the U.S., because of his time with NASL and your Cosmos and spending it time, again, diligently, again, read this article because it shows the time that he spent uh, in camps uh, with certain people whose lives he changed. Um, this guy... Uh, Really, a, in addition to a world icon, a Brazilian icon, a football icon, an American icon in many ways. Yeah, but I mean, he never, you know, and the other thing too is even for, so I'm 43, and even for people my age, I mean, he never went away, you know, in the United States. I mean, yeah. he was, he was, uh, you know, all over the 94 World Cup. He was, you know, Pele obviously was a very commercial figure at times. So, you know, he was in, involved in advertisements and promotional stuff for early MLS. He was, you know, he's just a fixture. I mean, growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, like late 80s, I mean, um, until the 90 World Cup, Pele was probably the only soccer player, Pele and Maradona were the only two soccer players anybody there even knew of. Um, you know, it was interesting reporting the piece that you're talking about. And and given what you just said at the beginning of his sort of unifying power, I did find it really striking that um, he's a... Uh, He's, he's not someone who people speak of as a person. It's almost like they speak of him <laughs> as a deity. I mean, I, I talked to Sergio Mendes, a very famous Brazilian yeah. um, singer and composer, and he said, you know, Pele means hope. Pele means, you know, love. Uh, it's just not something people say about, you know, <laughs> most people, especially not <laughs> athletes, well, especially not people of a certain level of fame. It's know, hard to again. achieve that. In Pelé, I mean, he you, you don't just do that by being an athlete and showing up. And a lot of people say he's, he's, he's cashing in with these things. But to, to create that kind of reaction from a musician like Sergio Mendes or whoever, uh, you have to put the time in. Well, and, you know, I, I, I uh, just yesterday actually was on the phone with um, a couple of former players and uh, a former coach, Lincoln Phillips, uh, these guys were at Howard University in the early 70s. I 
I posted a photo of, of Pele at Howard in 1973, and I just found myself wanting the story behind it. So I got these guys on the phone, and um, you know, something they all said too is that for them in the early 70s, it was um, it was so huge to have essentially the biggest athlete in the world be be a black man. Yeah. And Lincoln Phillips uh, made the point that in a way, I mean, that was true, but in a way, the guy was so big, he almost like transcended race, transcended everything. He said, you know, this guy was Pele first and everything else after that. He was just celebrated by people in every corner of the world. So it, it's, it's just completely true, man. I mean, I, I haven't found, not that I tried incredibly hard, but I haven't found one person who has anything bad to say about him, um, <laughs> you know, during my reporting. So, and you know, people have bad stuff to say about everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the first of all, if you check out, I think it's on your Twitter handle. I saw it, MLS Ist, which is a great handle, by the way, MLS IST. Um, that photo at, at Howard University, and that I, I first the difficulty of being the first black sports icon in many ways, certainly to that level, uh, coming from Brazil and the racism that obviously. Um, we deal with in U.S. in the 60s and 50s, 60s, 70s as he came through. And not just in this country, but in some, as a global icon to see this black man come up. And I can't imagine how difficult that was. And he was it truly, uh, he, he rubbed off his shoulders and he always was so graceful to everyone. And, and I think you, to your point, that, that thought where he goes, he, he, if he doesn't feel, the color is taken out because this is like a guy I can relate to, everyone. So yep. it, was, it was wonderful yep. to touch. I also really liked what you said, the Sergio Mendez, they've made a song. And yeah, they allowed they made him a whole to. Album. I mean, it's, it's actually pretty good. Pele has done a lot. He's of got music, a good voice, but he's he Sergio, Mendez, voice and, Sergio Mendez. Sergio Mendez says Mendes, he goes, it, it sells right into the music. Yeah. And Mendez really nailed it. His voice is, is like soulful and, and humble. It, like it's, you know, if you, he's just a singer or you listen to him and it's like, he's just not trying to be anything he isn't. Right. And I, I mean, I, I sort of, uh, I found it even more endearing, you know, I also talked to Arnie Ramirez, um, who, who ran Pele's soccer camps and, uh, and purchased New York in the early, you know, late seventies, early eighties, who, you know, you can read about it in the piece, but he basically told the story about, yeah, you know, every night all these campers would go to sleep and then we would literally sit around a campfire. Pele would play the guitar and sing, uh, Professor Julia Maze, who was like Pe Pele's confidant, would, you know, play the spoons and add a little rhythm. And it's just, uh, I just, that's, <laughs> that's that just amazing. is so mind-boggling to me. It's like something out of, <laughs> clearly out of a different millennium. And I'm just like, you really, can you really imagine Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> at the campfire? Like, Picking up a guitar and just going, all right, let's uh, kind of sing along it, in the back. We are so far removed from that reality. <laughs> it just boggles the mind, you know, like. Oh, sorry. That is, yeah. uh, there's a, there's, you start the piece also uh, at the house of Charles, Charles Martinelli. Yeah. And then, it, it, I mean, I, there's a photo there too, where you're going through all the, uh, I don't know, what, you, what would you call uh, Just all the historical pieces. I mean, did you drop a Indiana Jones? This belongs in a museum line at some point. Because it's <laughs> in mean, his house. I would do it. I would pay $10 and do a tour of his house. Yeah. That's how impressive I mean, those photos the, are. For the listeners, this is the, you know, ex- uh, equipment manager of the Cosmos from 71 to 78. And in 78, when, uh, you know, the year after Pele left, the, the Cosmos sort of did a mini rebrand. They went to blue and yellow as their colors. And this guy just happened to lead the team around then. And the team, you know, he had hundreds of jerseys, balls, trophies, pennants, all this stuff. 
the team like kind of inexplicably was like we don't want any of that stuff just do whatever you want with it so this guy has ended up with you know thousands of photos um dozens of jerseys he just sold a bunch of them uh at a christie's auction a few years right. ago and, and and most notably he has uh, pele's last ever you know match worn professional kit from the 77 soccer bowl which is just you know shirt socks uh shorts everything uh you know in pristine condition i mean i have to you look at the hand of god jersey which obviously is on a whole different level but that sells for eight nine million dollars i mean uh, this doesn't get anywhere near that, but it, what, it would what do you think? Me. I mean, I don't know, half a million dollars, maybe something like that. You know? I think, I think more. I'm because yeah, I've when seen, you know, I was I've seen reading Pele, it, all right, so I've seen other jerseys from his time with the Cosmos. One sold a few years ago for like sixty grand, but I mean, this is just like one random shirt from one random game. You know, um, it doesn't have the provenance that this does. You know, so you have to think it's easily easily six figures. I don't know, man. Now that he's passed away maybe seven figures you know yeah, i think i i and i think it, someone in new york somebody maybe who was a kid who went to those games is now like some big like, i want that because what hit me when i was reading it you described it and you go and now for the pa de resistance this this jersey and the shorts from his last game and i go okay and then i scroll down and then i uh i see the photo of charles holding the jersey with that beautiful white collar yeah massive and, and huge letters of pele and i go it all due respect, uh, uh, Pablo, but when you described it in the written word, it, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I need to bring a camera, you know. I have, you a, said, I, have I, a needed to, I needed to provide a photo of this because you will not believe yeah. how amazing it is. I mean, I have a 77 Cosmos, I, I collect stuff, obviously. I have a 77 match worn Steve Hunt Cosmos jersey, which, which looks very similar and is probably worth, uh, you know, one half of one percent <laughs> what the Pele one is, but. Um, Cosmos stuff is hard to find. I was happy to get my hands on that, you know. Well, and hats off to Charles for keeping this in such wonderful condition. You need to have a lot of love. And he speaks so highly of Pele, who uh, gave him this opportunity to, by the way, I keep correcting myself because I know Pele and there's Pele and I've heard it. And I, it's got to be Pele, right? I yeah, mean, it the is. accents over the last day, it's got to be Pele. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, it's, I, but it's, I frequently slip into Pele. Right. So I don't know. So the Brazilians always keep us on our toes. I mean, I call yeah, a lot of those yeah. Brazilian games and I just want to say it right. I mean, there's no other there's no other country whose players of this game have been mispronounced worse. And it's miles. <laughs> I mean, when they every time that Manchester United and Fred comes on and they say Fred, I go, if you called him Fred in Brazil, they wouldn't even know who you're talking about. Because you have to pronounce like this, it's like Fredgy, or so that's just yeah. the, the beginning yeah. of it. They're all so anyway. That's it's a, the most jarring one. It's just like a dorky ass American, you know, white boy name like Fred. <laughs> Call him Fred. Like, hey, Fred, what's up? You know, it's <laughs> like you, they saw Fred and they said, "No, I don't even care about the pronouncer. It is as is. He's Fred." Yeah, like, all right. Yeah, and, I'm not any time on this one. You know, I bet like, you, I bet you, Fred or Fredgy uh, probably agrees with it because he's probably. A, a, a guy who says, I want to make it easier for you. So whatever is easy for you, it's, it'll make my life easier. So well, that's kind of, you, you know, next, next game you're involved in, you could break the mold here. I don't know. Or John <laughs> strong. And one of these guys should just break out the actual correct pronunciation yeah. and see what happens. Oh, I've yeah. done that in the past. And it's a, it's a, you have to get into a fight afterwards. I'm sure. Cause the analyst <laughs> says, I ain't going there. I go, all right, I get it. I, I, I always, uh, uh, Derek Ray always fights those fights on air. And I crack up, uh, when he says the pronounce it, I know it'll go Bruno Fernandes. And then the, the analyst will say, Fernandez, I go, sorry, Derek, I, I appreciate it. 
much respect, but it's that's a, it. You can't put yeah. the, them in a bad spot. I mean, if everyone does it, then we'll 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 go through that. Uh, we'll we'll go through that door when we get there. But um, uh, Pablo, you've been fantastic, man. What an incredible conversation. Before uh, uh, we part ways, uh, I did want to just talk about what you do, and it's very unique. And this is why this Pele story came up is in the pursuit of American soccer stories. And you, we talked about it was that the in, the, the kick you reached out to me about this story. I, I was, it wasn't much help um, where they talk things that have happened in this country. Um, that are interesting. The American soccer story that is out there, uh, not just in New York or New Jersey or California or Texas, but it's in Louisiana. It's in uh, the big sky country where you've got driven through. Um, what was the behind pursuing those stories and what, how, how much is it given to you as, as a journalist to, to be able to share them with folks that stories that we would never really have heard of before? Yeah. I mean, I always say, um, selfishly, you know, I, I do these stories because I'm interested in them. I mean, I, I write, I've always written things that I want to read. You know, I frequently said no to stories that I wouldn't want to read, um, and I just happen to have really strange tastes, you know? Um, so, so for me, it's like, uh, you know, the other thing too is, you know, if I could be a baseball reporter and I could go out and try and write these stories about baseball, but, um, it's, it's such a, you know, that, that sport's been covered to death since its inception. And, you know, particularly the sort of oddball elements of it are very, uh, you know, valued and popular stories, right? Um, soccer is just, you know, I don't know. You can still make the argument that it's barely even covered in the U.S. Uh, it when is. it comes to when it comes to professional soccer in the U.S., yeah, we have um, miles to go. We have miles to go. That's why I'm glad yeah, we have the so, group of people we have out there. Right. So I mean, you know, it genuinely, all it takes is for me to sit down with anyone. There's a notepad on my desk at home that has no exaggeration, probably 200 story ideas in it, and you know, I could make the rest of my career just doing those. I mean, it, it just there's. I don't, I don't know why people don't write these stories more. I also think, I mean, I, I, I have to really. It's a lot of hard uh, work, Pablo. So you have yeah, to pat yourself on really the back. Yeah, I have to really the athletic too and that they empower me to do those stories. It's not easy to just cut a writer loose. So the, the Pele thing, for example, was, you know, two weeks of work and I didn't really produce much of anything else in those two weeks. And a lot of outlets would be like, no, we need these other, you know, five or six short pieces from you in that time frame. And um, that's just never necessarily been the deal there. I think they understand the strengths of all, all of us as writers on staff, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's hugely gratifying for me and I'm happy that a lot of these pieces seem to have found, you know, an audience with other people. Not just the soccer crowd. I mean, there's uh, that's also something there. And I, and that's, a, that's important for all of us, uh, Pablo, cause you want to, it helps make the sports bigger because they're going to see that what we find interesting, they'll go, well, that is interesting. This is in my backyard sure. and this is, specifically american which i think americans like everyone else hang on to what is what yeah i mean a good a good a good sports story you know when it comes to uh, something historical like a long form um is going to transcend whatever that sport is it's just going to be an interesting curious bit of info that that most anybody would read and we have so many subscribers to the athletic that subscribe for other verticals that are sports that you know frequently people pop up in the comments of my pieces and be like I don't even follow MLS or you know, I don't even know what the NSL was. This was a great read, you know? So I'm um, not that I'm patting myself on the back. I just, I'm, I'm happy that people, you know, like I said, it resonates with people. By the way, what, what are you driving out on this road trip? Cause I know you're a car guy, you're a mechanic yeah. and I see some um, of your cars and I go, man, 
like you said, th- going to a beat of a different drummer. But I find those cars that you you, sh- you show off very intriguing and cars that I would like to drive. Not a car yeah, guy here, I mean, but I- there's, I love the era that you kind of that you live in. Yeah, I have, you know, I, the, 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 you know, I worked on cars for, I still do to a lesser extent, but I did it full time for 21 years. And <laughs> it's amazing. My, like my, um, my taste in automobiles has always been molded by what I grew up with. I mean, you and I are, you know, not that far apart in age and probably both grew up with, you know, a Lamborghini Countach poster on our wall or something of that sort, you know? So I've always, um, I've always liked the sort of early mid eighties stuff. So, you know, I was going to bring, I have, a, I have a mid eighties Corvette. Um, oh. and I was going to take that, you know, I've, I've driven it across the country multiple times, but you know, going up into Montana and Minnesota, the Dakotas and stuff this time of year. Corvette's not um, really practical. I thought it would be like borderline suicidal to do that. So I, <laughs> I went to budget rent a car and just said, give me, oh. give me like a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. So that's, oh, nice. That's what, you know, yeah, I mean, it's kind of soulless and whatever, but I also won't, you know, get eaten by a bear because Correct. of it. So. I will say that the old 80s Jeep, very boxy, the original Cherokees. That was one of yeah, my man, first cars. Great. Stick shift. I love that. Passengers hated it because it was like with me driving the stick shift, it was like they were hanging over a precipice in a mining cart and it was not. I mean, those cars, those things are hot now again. They, like, the weird thing is growing they up. Should like reint- they, Jeep should reintroduce it, that boxy style. And- yeah. Kind and of like a Ford Bronco. You go out and get a Cherokee for five hundred dollars. You get like an early '80s Cherokee. They were just like beaters, and now all that '80s and '90s stuff is in vogue. And I mean, I saw on Bring a Trailer, which is an auction site, a just a plain old Cherokee four x four. You know, maybe like early '90s, and it went for like eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars. <laughs> just like, come on, man! This Should've is a beater kept... car, you know. Like, this is like this like farm implement. It is know? a beater car. That's why I loved yeah. it. I go because yeah. I go uh, beater cars are good because. They take a beating and they keep on ticking. And that is, yep. that's what ma- makes them part of the family. By the way, I would, I don't know if they would ever do this, but if they ever reintroduce the El Camino with that big flatbed, I would consider Yeah, I mean, that. I have, you know, I have a Dodge Rampage, which is, which is of, similar. The same, yeah. of the same ilk. You know, it's a, <laughs> I think they called it a trucklet was the official uh, oh. name for it. it was, you know, it's just a little yeah. small car pickup truck. Uh, that has to be the weirdest thing I own. Yeah, yes. for sure. A nice, you get a nice all electric uh what are they, a trucklet i don't know how the people yeah, do it but yeah. it'd be very practical yep yep pablo maur of the athletic mlsist on twitter from his rental car on the side of the road in west texas with incredible audio some of the best audio we've had on this podcast pablo uh, I'd like to thank the future MLS overlords, the Apple Corporation, I guess, for, <laughs> there you for taking care of that on this iPhone. You know. Well, I appreciate you joining me, man. This was a great conversation on a great many topics. So thanks for breaking your uh, your drive for a little bit, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, Pablo Mar, we'll be back with stoppage time to have a quick look ahead to 2023. We are back here on the Soccer OG, a wonderful conversation with Pablo. I told him off the air afterwards what I appreciated about that is uh, he knows how to have a conversation on a podcast. It's like a really give and take. And that's what I want to do here. I want to have conversations. I want to stimulate some answers. And I want those people to stimulate some responses and ask me questions. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, we see the value of the American soccer story. It's great. It's great. 
It's uh, there. There's so many unique things that make us American, and we come together. And th- that is a foundation we have to set if we want to get better on the field, if we want to get better leagues, if we want to have uh, more fans and a bigger audience, etc. I said I was going to look forward to 2023 here in stoppage time. I didn't do a lot of homework. I didn't do a lot of homework, so I'm just going to be brief. And uh, this is going to be look. The one thing about 2023 with the pandemic, and then the World Cup in the wintertime. This year really is the one that says, all right, we're marking things back to some normalcy, if that's good. I kind of enjoyed the lunacy of games all the time, but the reality is it's just not fair. It's just not fair to the players. We have put such an obscene amount on their shoulders. I could not believe my eyes. You know, one minute, the World Cup final, literally days later, Kylian Mbappe playing back-to-back games for Paris Saint-Germain. All these Argentines kind of waddled in and got their celebration. Not that they got a lot of time. I mean, they got a week. That's not enough. You need to recharge the batteries. We all need to. I hope you're out there doing it too. Get your mind off work. Get your mind off things at home and just let your brain and your body work. It's so important. You don't need me to tell this. You have friends and doctors, but just make take some time. I'm looking forward. I'm driving out to the mountains. I think we've had like three feet of snow here in SoCal. I need to bust out the skis. I got to find someone who can do it in the middle of the week. I can't take the kid out of the school. He's not crazy about skiing, but I hope he. I wish he was. So, um, I, I look forward to 2023 kind of getting back to normal. You know, the calendar and the schedule and the breaks, <laughs> all of that. I hope, but who knows what we have in store? And I hope we don't have another Winter World Cup. As fun as I had, and as Pablo made a good point, I mean. We, 2030 is looming. It's going to be a Mediterranean World Cup, Saudi Arabia involved. I don't think that would be a winter World Cup. It'll be warm in the summer. But FIFA would move it if they want to. We've seen that. Um, they just, there's no resistance there with FIFA and the hosts that are giving them all that money. So uh, hopefully we get back to some rhythm because it's good for the game. It's, it's, this has worked so long over the years, hundreds of years, 100 years, uh, for this sport to kind of find its, you know, its clock. So uh, hopefully we can get back to that. That's really at the top of the list. I think it's going to be a great run-in in the Champions League. I think a bunch of teams can win it. Keep an eye on Benfica now that they're going to retain Enzo Fernandez. Maybe this is the year for Paris Saint-Germain. You look at the Premier League and Man City and Liverpool not as that dominant team in the Premier League. Uh, they got their teams into the Champions League, but I don't think it's going to be an all-England affair that we, you know, Real Madrid is the only thing that stopped that from happening over and over again. Uh, it's going to be fun, which is good for the, great for the sport. Great for the sport. We'll see. I think Benfica played Club Bruges, Brugge, so uh, maybe we'll get the surprise from the Belgians. The Women's World Cup, obviously. This is, as we've talked with guests in the past, this is going to be the biggest women's sporting event ever. Ever. Olympics, anything. Uh, WNBA finals, yada, yada, yada. This is going to be it by a lot because uh, it's reached this summit. The success, not just here in the U.S., but the European leagues, mass attendance coming out to see these games, more money for the players. So players see a, a, a pathway to being a full-time professional, which is all very new. Australia and New Zealand are going to be great hosts. The rest of the world is caught up. We've seen breakthroughs with England winning the Euros, Spain. Uh, Spain looks like the number one team in the world, and they weren't even on the radar a couple years ago. 
Obviously, the Germans. We'd love to see a little bit more from, I mean, South America doesn't have an elite power, but we've seen progress from Colombia and other countries, Chile. I believe it was Chile, because I was watching the uh, Comebol championships. Uh, so, you know, Canada's got an Olympic gold medal. It's going to be a little more crowded at the top, which is an American fan. I mean, a lot of people don't want to hear, but it's, uh, it's also going to be um, uh, so much better for the sport. The best thing for the sport is if the U.S. doesn't win the World Cup and they get a fire lit underneath them. But I'm excited about this new generation of the American women. It just, it's been difficult. They've, they, and nothing's been easy for them. So we move forward with that. That's obviously going to be huge. I just want to wish everyone a happy new year. And these have been tough years. I hope you get everything you want out of it. I hope I can be part of it here with, uh, the soccer OG. Oh yes. And we want a new manager, right? We want, it's ready for a new manager. I think Pablo and that said it. And look, I've been a, I've been an advocate, uh, and for Greg Berhalter, this is, this is not, he doesn't want that. U S soccer doesn't want that. Uh, it would be, you know, you hear all this screaming sounds if he's appointed. So I think it's the right time to move on and hopefully Greg can Get, his, get back on his wheels and do that. And hopefully Claudio Reyna can get back and his wife can get whole again and Gio Reyna can get back on the, the tracks as well. The Soccer OG Podcast, where all podcasts are available. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. You'll really enjoy the latest video there about the Burhalters and the Reynas and how we got here with this bombshell slash scandal. That's maybe a little... No, no, it is, it's probably an accurate word. And we'll be back. We'll be back on a, a weekly... Uh, basis and when these big competitions come we'll be back we have some u.s soccer games at the end of the month here in los angeles i'd be crazy not to go to one so i'll probably pop in there i think i have some time off but we'll move on from there and as i always like to say at the end of the shows Palacio Domingo. domingo